Welcome, listeners. I'm thrilled to have you with us on this journey trying to discover how to find balance and live a happy life. When I started thinking about this podcast, I realized there were a few books that had framed my thinking. They have become foundational to how I think about balance. So in this episode, I'll be discussing themes and learnings from these texts with two special guests. Some of you listeners may not have the luxury of time. While I certainly recommend reading each of these books, I'm hoping even hearing some of the concepts and themes will help you along on your journey. As I mentioned, I have two special guests joining me to chat about these books, who I know very well. Heather Ostberg is an actress, teacher, entrepreneur, wife, and mother of the most adorable one-and-a-half-year-old, <laughs> which I'm allowed to say because he's my nephew. <laughs> and Tess Forster is a super smart biomedical engineer. She's an exceptional program manager, design thinker, musician, fantastic roommate, and comes from a home with really good snacks, which I remember from going there as a kid. I'm so glad to have both of you here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So we are going to go through three different books for our listeners today. The first one is Burnout, The Secret of Unlocking the Stress Cycle by Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. I'll give you a brief summary of that, and then we'll talk through that book. So Burnout is a book for women who are feeling overwhelmed by everything they're doing and still not feeling like they're doing enough. I definitely felt this way when I picked this book up. It balances stories and science to help you understand the stress cycle, how our bodies respond to it, and strategies for managing stress to prevent burnout or heal if you are already in that state. Marcy, I'm curious, what made you want to read this book? That's actually a really interesting story. I was at a point in my life where I was really exhausted, totally overwhelmed, and I got an email from a friend, and she invited me to join a book club with a bunch of other women. I was really excited just to hang out with these women, and I remember reading a line in the email that said, you don't have to have read the book, just show up. So the day comes and I show up late because of everything that is going on and realize (laughs) that I haven't read the book, didn't even get the book, don't know what book we're reading. Mm -hmm. And they start to talk about burnout. And as they describe the feelings and the thoughts, I get very emotional and start actually crying so much that I turned off my video. I didn't want them to see me in that state and just listen to these women talk about how they were feeling and experiencing this and just cried. And I realized I absolutely needed to read this book. So that's how it started. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Emotional start. (laughs) So do you want to describe a little bit more about what burnout felt like to you? Yeah, I didn't realize I was burnt out, but I had very little motivation to do my work, which was abnormal for me. And I was going through the motions every day, but really dreading going to work. And everything, both small and large, felt difficult. It was even kind of hard to get out of bed, which now I realize maybe I was beyond burnout and possibly depressed. So it probably would have been good for me to to see somebody and talk about that. I actually just listened to a TED Talk by the authors of this book, and they defined burnout. They said there were three components, depersonalization, decreased sense of accomplishment, and emotional exhaustion. And most people have all three of those when they're burnt out. But they were saying women have more of that emotional exhaustion. And that was absolutely true for me. I just felt totally emotionally exhausted in all areas of my life. I'm curious, in reading this book, 
you probably had expectations of what it would give you. And I'm curious what you actually ended up getting out of it. I think I was hoping for some quick answers, things that would help me bounce back since I knew Mm -hmm. I was not in a good place. But it ended up taking a lot longer than I expected. In the end, I actually decided to leave my job. And that was part of me coming back into a good place, leaving my job and then spending a good three months just focused on healing and finding happiness again. So that's what was unexpected, just how long it took for me personally. It might not take everybody that long. So if a friend of yours or someone you knew um, was talking through an experience or telling you a little bit about their life, at what point would you tell them to read this book? I think it's a great book for women at any point. I would definitely say it's tailored towards women. And it's good to read before you're burnt out because then you can get some strategies to help you stay balanced in your life before you get to that point. But it's also good if you're there, um, as I was when I read it, and you can figure out ways to get yourself back out of that place. You shared a little bit about this, but I want you to just go a little deeper. Like, How has this affected how you live your life right now? Yeah, there's actually a lot of things I learned from the book that I still keep at play. They did a great job talking about how the stress cycle is a normal thing that we all experience, but it's a cycle and you have to do things to end it and get out of it and kind of clear Mm. your body of the stress that you've been under. And if you don't, if you just kind of let it sit, then it can cause havoc and bring you into this place of burnout. So they had great things to do to clear that cycle. One was community, making sure you're surrounded by people in your life that will let you vent, will listen as you talk about the stress and and show you support. Another was exercise, sweat it out, whatever form you enjoy, get your heart rate up, get your heart rate pumping, and just beat out the stress. And then rest, sleep, is a big one, but also Mm. mental rest from work. I know a lot of us kind of work around the clock and finding ways to take a mental break from the stressors of your job or if your stress isn't your job from the other stressors in your life. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then the last one that I found really interesting was self-compassion. They had this concept of talking about the woman in the attic and how most of us have this voice that's telling us we're not good enough, that we're not doing enough of something. And if you figure out who your woman is, name her, kind of understand what she's telling you all the time over and over, then you can acknowledge her and um, find ways to counteract that. That one was really interesting. And I still hear those voices in my head telling me I'm not good enough, but I can acknowledge it and say, okay, I hear you, but I also know that... I'm doing the best I can in this moment. (laughs) Wow. I love that analogy. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I've learned in therapy, and I I wouldn't say I've come to answers, but the the way that they've framed it in therapy has been trying to go back to your childhood and remember like maybe the first moment that that ever happened or the first time you ever heard that voice. It's really hard because you're dealing with, you know, memories of, of early life, but It is interesting, like a different aspect of it, of like, what is the origin of that voice? Does that voice have a name? Is it, you know, your sister or your brother or a teacher or anyone else in your life? Really interesting. As you can see, this one was very relevant to 
reframing my uh, search for <laughs> more balance. But yeah. there were a couple other books which both of you read. So that's why yes. I'm really excited to talk about the next books with you. Um, Tess, I think you were going to introduce the next book. So the second book is Designing Your Life. And the tagline is How to Build a Well-Lived, Joyful Life. The authors are Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. And if I had to summarize it, it's about answering life's questions. They try to help you reframe the questions, go through exercises that they've designed based off of design thinking. So it's about going through these exercises, reframing questions, and eventually being able to answer you know, what you want out of your career as well as your personal life. Yeah, that was a great summary. So why? Why did, Marcy, why don't you start? Why did you read this book? <laughs> sure. And then I can ask you why you both decided to read yeah. it with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, besides the fact that you asked us. <laughs> yeah. I heard about this book through a network I'm part of. Someone reached out and said that they were also in this phase of discovery in their career and they were trying to figure out what's next. And mm -hmm. they suggested reading this book and they wanted to pull together a book club. The second I saw the subtitle, how to build a well-lived joyful life I was hooked that that spoke to me and so I, I joined the book club and and once I got into the book I was like this is really interesting and I shared it with both of you and so why did you jump in with me and do the book club <laughs> yeah well I had a tumultuous season there for a minute and uh was between my next things. With COVID, I closed my business and you were reading this book. And I remember you describing the encore career. And obviously I'm like not in an encore career, but it felt very much akin to like, I get to decide what's next and I don't know where to go. And so I think the way you were describing it, it sounded like it was giving you so much direction and, and really good action steps. Like I loved the way that you talked about like the first chapter and the like homework assignments in it. And I was like, yeah, I need that. <laughs> so I think that for me was what piqued my interest at first and was like, yep, yeah, I will read this with you. What about you, Tess? I had heard about the concept of design thinking. I mean, it originated as part of like product design. And I, you know, about four years ago now had made the trek from Boston over to San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley. And so the, that term design thinking is is kind of in the water around here. Mm -hmm. And I had seen that they, there were classes at Stanford that I almost kind of jumped in on, on taking about applying this design thinking to social systems and social structures. Mm. At the time, I was designing structure around training surgeons and their staff. So that's why that, that course piqued my interest. I never enrolled in the class, but the concept had been in my memory, in my brain for a couple of years. So when mm -hmm. Heather sent me the book, I was like, oh, I you know have some familiarity with this concept. And then why I wanted to read it, I think was I was also at a point in my career where I had felt like I had gotten I didn't have a choice in where I had ended up. I had gone through an acquisition and found my way into program management, not because I necessarily wanted to do the job, but because the options were like, you know, be more software engineering e or go and work mm -hmm. for this manager that I really liked. So I, I kind of chose the manager over, mm -hmm. <laughs> over the job. And then of course that manager left. And so then I was left thinking, is this actually what I want or did I just want to work for her? And so it kind of left me thinking, like, is this really the career path I want to go down? Is this even the right fit for me personally? How do I decide what's next? 
It's interesting. We were all in different moments of transition in our lives. Yeah. Some of us were forced into it, like you, Heather, mm-hmm. <laughs> by the <laughs> pandemic. Or Tess, you were actually forced into it as well because Ex- of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the acquisition. And I was aware that I needed a transition, but I was, wasn't quite there yet. We were all ready in the same way, even though there were different reasons behind that. So... I'm curious what the two of you expected to get out of the book versus what you actually got out of it. I mean, I think kind of like how you said with the first book, like, I was like, this will be a quick fix. I'll read this book and then I'll know what to do next. And the rest (laughs) of my life will be charted before me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I, I loved how they talked about it being a journey and how what's right for you in this season isn't going to be right for you forever. And that that is like, you're on your way. And not that there's this end destination that you're just trying to hop to as quick as possible. So I really appreciated that perspective because I needed that perspective. And I think what I got out of it is I'm still in this journey of trying to figure out and trying to design my life and trying to think about things like reframing failure is a big part of it. I think as I'm living each day, I'm trying to make sure I'm thinking of each task and each thing I complete as part of that journey and part of that understanding myself and and what I might be good at and where this road is leading right now. And I also think it gave me the steering wheel back. I feel like I had given the steering wheel to other people and other things, and I feel like it gave it back to me. And that was really empowering. And so now I'm saying yes to things and I'm saying no to things and that I never said no to things. I'm now making choices and calculated choices And that is a really great place to be. What about you, Tess? You know, to be honest, I didn't have too many expectations going into it. I think I was more, you know, hopping on the bandwagon, excited to be in community. But I think what I got out of it is, firstly, you know, identification of what I'm good at and what makes me tick, what makes me happy in my career, as well as outside my career. And I think next, it it helped me be able to speak to that. I remember having to do the interview for the job I now have, and I was supposed to do it sometime in July. And I remember freaking out, being like, how am I going to put together? They wanted a two-hour presentation, 15 to 20 slides on things you've done, projects you've worked on, all about you. And I was like, how am I supposed to fill 15 to 20 slides? How am I supposed to talk about this for two hours? And that was baffling to me. They ended up canceling the interview and we ended up rescheduling it like months later. And by the time it was rescheduled in October, I had read probably a majority of this book. And when I went to go put, you know, pen to paper on the slides, I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to write about. I know exactly Mm. what I'm going to talk about. I know exactly what I'm presenting on. I know exactly what my brand is for lack Mm. of a better, better word. So yeah, that's definitely what I got out of it. Mm, Very interesting. Yeah. For me, I thought I was walking into this book specifically focused on career. Like that's what I was aiming to figure out was what's my next career move. And I actually realized there were so many other areas of my life that were out of balance. They have these this life dashboard that I have really connected with that has four components, health, work, play, and love. And I thought I was going to focus just on work. But it turns out health was more than just physical health, and I needed to really think about my mental health. Play was pretty much non-existent in my life, so that was all out of whack. 
love. I wasn't putting a lot of attention into the people that I love in my life. And so that was out of whack. And of course, work I already knew was not in a good place, but they had me reframe it to not just be about paid work, but I also uncovered that there's all this unpaid work that I'm doing in my life. And to to acknowledge that was a big deal for me. So this dashboard really was eye-opening and helped me rethink the whole premise of balance. So I thought I was going just to focus on one area, but it was all of these. I think to a certain extent, all of us have answered this question, but any additional thoughts on how this book has affected, you know, the way we live our lives? Yeah. Something that I think about, I I feel like every week still from this book is the prototyping section of the book where they talk about, okay, what do you think you're interested in? You've spent some time mind mapping, you've spent time brainstorming, now prototype it. And that just that concept of prototyping was pretty foreign to me. And so I think I used to just jump into things and commit to them full throttle 100%. And then it often was maybe not the best fit. I think I every framing failure learned a lot from those things. But now I think of everything as kind of an experiment. And that is a really beautiful mind shift for me. And I also think it's given me the courage to ask more questions to people who are in those positions. Like, I mean, part of that chapter on prototyping is to find people who are doing what you might be interested in or one little angle of it and just ask them about their lives and interview them. And so I've had lots of really neat conversations that I never would have had the courage to have. And they have opened new doors for me to things I didn't know about. I'm like, I'm really excited about my next chapter because I'm going to be prototyping some things that I was too scared to commit to because it felt like a huge step. And they kind of helped me find the the gap between just doing it and being here really far away from what I want to do. And so that is something I think about every week. To build on that, I think if someone asked me what I thought program management was in one sentence or less, I would say asking really good questions. And I think this book has helped me hone in on that skill as what questions are we asking? How are we asking them? Did we ask it right the first time or do we have to rephrase it or reframe it or Mm. come back to it and talk about it from a different angle? I agree with you. I think learning to ask the right questions and learning that asking a lot of questions is okay, is ideal, is definitely what I've learned. Yeah. Another concept that we haven't talked about yet that I pulled from this is paying attention to how much energy and engagement I have in activities. I was still at my job when I was reading this and I was able to see like which activities in my day really bring my energy up and which ones am I like fully engaged in and where is my flow? And that was a good exercise because I didn't realize the types of things that I liked. I thought I liked certain things and there was other things that I discovered, like, for example, spreadsheets and organizing data. I would never have told you that I liked those things because I'm a really (laughs) other people person and I enjoy facilitating conversations and being around large groups of people. But it turns out there's these other elements that I also enjoy. And so once I became aware of that, I was able to think about, okay, how much of my day is stuff that brings me energy or how much of it is things that deplete my energy. And not that you'll have things in every job that you love every bit of it, but finding a better balance so that you have some things you enjoy or a lot of things you enjoy in your day. Well, that was our first book we read together. And then we went on to a very different book. Heather, you want to chat with us about (laughs) the next one? 
Okay, our next book that we read together was Women Who Run With the Wolves, Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype by Clarissa Pinacola Estes. It's a great book. She's a fabulous storyteller, and she approaches this archetype of the wild woman, this woman that we all have in us. It's kind of our instinctual nature that's buried And she takes you through all these different stories and kind of unpacks it. I mean, it's so different than the other books we've talked about because it is buried in in these beautiful fables that she tells you. And then she's unpacking this person inside you that is your instinct, your intuition, what you really want to say in the moment, your creativity, your passion. It's very hard to do a 30-second summary of this book, but... um, But I feel like that will give a taste and a flavor of it. It's like fable after fable. And then after fable, she'll kind of break it down for you and tell you about the wild woman. So I feel like it's important to share that the the first fable is the fable of La Loba, who is this woman who lives out in the desert and she collects these bones and she sings over the bones and the bones grow hair and they grow flesh and then they become this wild, beautiful wolf and they run through the desert. So that is what this book is named after. And that wolf is this metaphor for that being in us that like we bury that is dead or lying dormant that we need to collect. And weirdly enough, I feel like it relates so much to the other books we've read in a very metaphorical way. So why did you pick this book up and and want to read this book? Yes. So funny enough, for the last like two years, people have been telling me this book and I could never remember the name of it. I was like, the woman and the wolf, what is it? And then I was at a wedding and the officiant for the wedding was this wonderful human. She was just so beautiful and so free. And I was telling her about my life crisis at the moment. And she was like, you need to read this book. It's called Women Who Run With the Wolves. It was like, okay, I think the universe is telling me it's time to read this book. So that's when I picked it up and you guys were both down. How about you guys? What made you join me on on this journey? So I had actually already read it probably five to six years ago. And so my mom bought it for me. (laughs) I think she bought one for my sister and I, and I can't remember why, but she did. And I started reading it at the time I was dating this guy long distance, Boston to New York. And so I was spending a lot of time on trains and, and buses. And so I remember reading it during that time in my life when I was doing a lot of a lot of traveling. For me, this one was the one I jumped on the bandwagon for because <laughs> you guys both were into it. And I was like, what is this book? OK, sure. Let's read this one. <laughs> so what did you expect to get out of it? And then what did you actually get out of it? I didn't have a lot of expectations, but as soon as I started reading it, I was like, what is this? It's all stories. It's really hard to understand. And I was, uh, as you heard from the last two books, really interested in like how to, how to get Uh myself out of this funk, how to fix my problems. I really wanted like step-by-step guidance. Uh And so this Uh was not that. It Mm -hmm. absolutely is a different style of writing, as Heather was saying. And so it took me a little while to wrap my brain around that and be open to a different type of learning. She really forces you to do the work, but I think that the learning is probably going to be so much deeper as a result. Mm -hmm. You hear those stories and then you have to apply them to your life. You have to dissect them and think about what you can learn from them and then try to get yourself to use these strategies to be a more authentic version of yourself. It was, it's really an interesting text. 
What about you, yeah. Tess and Heather? I didn't necessarily have too many expectations. I think I was excited to read it again. And I will say that what I learned was I really needed to reread this right now. And it it even made me think like, maybe I need to reread this every couple of years to remind myself of some of the themes. It's very different from the other book. I find myself reading like a couple of pages before I go to bed, but it's slow reading. Not only are you just reading it and absorbing it, there's also a lot of reflections. I have to pause a lot for like self-reflection and trying to make sure that I understood what she's saying on the very subconscious level. I thought it was a fiction book. So, which I mean, in some part it is, but I didn't know there would be these little essays at the end of every fable where you unpack them for your own life. And so just the whole format of the book didn't meet my expectations. But I remember I was on a walk. I was listening to the first chapter and I was on a walk with my one-year-old and I just had to stop and look at my phone because I was like, did we just skip to the end of the book? Like what's happening right now? I was so confused. And then I just realized it's kind of meditative. You do just want to listen to the story and just let the story wash over you. And then after you listen to her unpacking and the way she like poetically waxes about the story, afterwards, you just want to like walk in silence and and sit with it and think about it for a while. I really like how meditative the book is. It doesn't have the homework assignments of the other book, but it does have them. You just have to sit in silence with the thoughts she gives you and the story she gives you. Yeah, would you agree that like the metaphor is that the the stories are like the tip of the iceberg and then she spends most of the time talking about what's underwater, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is like the bulk of the book. (laughs) Totally. And the stories are great because they're so easy to clasp onto and they're like interesting and beautiful and you can remember the plot. I will find myself thinking about the little Cinderella, the little Ash girl. That was a story all about her needing to know her intuition. And I'll find myself thinking about like, she was trying to decide whether to go left or right. The story gives you something so tangible to hold on to and empathize with that it's really easy to recall the lessons from the book, which Mm -hmm. I think is so profound. It's harder, deeper work, but it's more impactful. Mm -hmm. So what has this book, how has it changed what you're doing with your life or how's it affected? You just started talking about that a little bit, Heather. I think intuition is huge. Intuition is something I don't think I ever felt like I had a very good grasp on. People would talk about what do they want? What are they going to choose? And they just know. I would always defer to everyone else around me because they seemed like they had a clearer visions of what they wanted. And so that deferential side of me also makes it really hard to then hear my own drive. And in the season of change and trying to make decisions, that's mm. really hard. So I think the intuition that she talks about in the book is that part of the wild woman that I really want to find find and get to know and feel like I can embody that part. I also just think the courage to be who you are instead of letting the world define you. I think as women, that's really difficult. And there's a lot of pressure and a lot of people telling us how we should be and what we should do. And I think we have to work really hard to push against that. And this wild woman that she's talking about is that person. I can think of so many people and I'm like, oh, they're a wild woman. Oh, they got that on lockdown probably all people want that. They want to feel free to be who they are. I think I'm definitely a work in progress on these things, but that's exciting to me. Yeah, for me, I think the two things is one, I don't typically set a whole lot of New Year's resolutions, but this year I set an intention of I want to be better at listening to my intuition and defining what that is and listening to that voice. So that was even before I think we started reading this book. That was just coincidence that the, the book goes along with that theme. 
And then the other thing, Heather, you mentioned that is there's all these feminine characteristics and feminine traits. I feel like I've always felt this, you know, the world doesn't necessarily appreciate them, I think, in the way that they should. And the world, society, the workplace, you know, our culture, the the American culture. So I think it's really interesting to think about it through that lens of like, what feels right to me? And then noticing where it doesn't necessarily align with how society tells me I should act, talk about myself, behave, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. That actually connects to what I was thinking about. And that's not only was I not connected to my intuition as a New Englander who stuffs all my feelings inside and pretends I don't have them. (laughs) And a woman. Yeah. (laughs) But um, I was not connected to my intuition, but I also didn't value intuition. Um, Mm. Society teaches us that being strong and rational are the things that we should strive for. And that's how we should be making decisions, uh, looking at the numbers and not the anecdotes or not how we're feeling. I think this book really forced me to rethink that premise and to say, actually, sometimes our intuition is, in fact, a lot of times our intuition is worth listening to. There's deep knowledge there that we have for a lot of reasons. And listening to that and uncovering why you feel that way, why you think that way, sometimes is the best way to make decisions or to know how to go forward. Yeah, you made me think about something. Within the first week or even maybe a couple of days of my new job, I remember my boss saying to me, you know, one of the things I want to do better is being able to quantify what I'm feeling in my gut. But what was interesting is I don't know how many people I've heard say in the workplace, well, my gut is telling me or my gut feeling, Mm -hmm. especially as program management. And I work in biotech and I work with engineers day in, day out. And so they are always talking about numbers and, you know, percentages Mm -hmm. and things like that. The amount of times even since then that she and I will say, I feel in my gut or my gut feeling is Mm -hmm. this. And the fact that that's okay or that no one's like, but that's just your gut feeling that people Mm -hmm. respect that I think is, is huge. So We have these three really different books that we just talked about. I'm curious if there are any overarching themes that each of you found as you were reading through them, just ways that they connected for you. Yeah, I I think outlining your drive and maybe just getting to know yourself Mm -hmm. is is like the theme in both the books. Design your life. It was like you can't figure out how to design your life if you don't know who you are. So you need to figure out what you're good at, what you're passionate about, what people think about you which were all very tangible. And then women who run with the wolves is like, get to know the side of yourself that you've buried and like dig her up and bring Mm -hmm. her back to life. Like what Mm -hmm. makes you unique and special and driven and creative. So those to me are the two themes that I see playing out in both of them in a, in a way that affected me. Hmm. One of my favorite lines from women who runs with wolves is Sometimes you're looking at the smorgasbord in front of you and you're trying to make choices off of that. It's like, do I want, you know, this cheese or this piece of salami just because it's in front of me? And most Mm. people, you know, it's like, yeah, it's in front of me. I want it. But no one says, okay, but like, if you could have anything, even if it's not right in front of you, what would you want? And I think 
that that's a powerful lesson and designing your life talks about that too. You don't necessarily need to take what's just in front of you or what you feel like your options are because of, you know, the career path you've chosen or not chosen, the choices you've made that you can actually redirect and say, no, this is what I want and Mm. here's how I'm going to get there. Mm. Really interesting. For me, it was a theme of emotional health running through all Mm. of them. And it was talked about differently in each of them. In burnout, they called it the feelings tunnel. And I loved this analogy, actually. They talked about our feelings not being a cave, which is how I kind of grew up thinking. Don't go towards those bad feelings. It's a dark cave. You'll get lost in there. Instead, it's a tunnel. And you want to enter the tunnel address those feelings and then you'll come out on the other side to the light and the the good things that are there. So I really liked that analogy or, and just that concept of emotions are good and positive and some of them are hard, but we just need to be open to them. And then in designing mm-hmm. your life, the way they talked about health as not just physical health, which is how I tend to think about health, but also emotional and mental health, I thought that was really good to help me think about how to balance my life, not just work, but all these other components. And then in Women Who Run With Wolves, it's about all about being in tune with and understanding and listening to your feelings. And that's your superpower when you can, when you can understand and hear those feelings. So, yeah, that's what I'm working on now is trying to listen to and my feelings and my intuition and use that as my superpower. I love that. Well, this was super fun. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, both of you. Thanks for letting me twist your arm to come and have our weekly chat uh, in front of a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for inviting us to read these books. I think they've both clearly made a big impact on our last season. And thank you to our listeners as well. In our next several episodes, I'll be changing gears a little bit and interviewing everyday women, gathering their advice about how to prevent burnout, design a well-lived, joyful life, and be our whole wild woman selves. So tune in to the next episode and hear their inspiring stories and words of wisdom. 